Today's first reading comes from the Psalter, Psalm 111. Before we listen to and respond to God's word, please join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, thank you for speaking to us through your scriptures, giving us wisdom and guidance as we make our way. Bless the readings we hear today that they might deepen our faith and trust in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. Full of honor and majesty is his work and his righteousness endures forever. He has gained renown by his wonderful deeds. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He is ever mindful of his covenant. He has shown that his people, the power of his works, and giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today's Old Testament reading comes from the book of Kings, chapters 2 and 3, selected verses. The story picks up following the death of King David. Listen now for God's word to you and to me. Then David slept with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. The time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. So Solomon sat on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom was firmly established. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, Only he sacrificed and offered incense into high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the principal high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God asked, What should I give you? And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne today. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Although I'm only a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. For who can govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. God said to him, because you have asked this and not asked for yourself long life or riches, or for the life of your enemies, 
but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been before you, and no one like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor all your life. No other king shall compare with you. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your life. The word of the Lord. What do you feel like you need that you currently don't have to help you better navigate your daily life? This is the question that every advertiser is trying to answer for you. They will tell you you need more money, more control, a better home, a faster car, a new mattress. That's really important, I figured out. Or the best schooling money can buy. The powers and principalities are always ready and eager to tell you what you need to thrive, to be successful, to make sense of life. But if you can silence those voices, what would you ask for? What do you need? Strength? Beauty? Salvation? Victory? Certainty? Perhaps peace? Solomon, the wisest of all Israel's kings, asked for an understanding mind to govern God's people, standing before the one who could grant his deepest wish, his deepest desire. Solomon asks for the power of discernment. And I want to know why. What compelled Solomon to ask for this power when he could have had anything else? The motivation to ask for wisdom likely wasn't in his gene pool. Despite the praise Solomon offers for his father David in his conversation with God, David, we know, was a bit of a mess. Faithful, yes, but a mess. Not known for making the best decisions. Solomon knew this too since his mother was Bathsheba, the woman David chose as his own after having her husband Uriah killed in battle. Solomon's family tree wasn't known, I'm saying, for making the wisest choices. And yet in this moment, Solomon chooses something that deeply pleases God. And it could have been life experience that led Solomon to ask for wisdom. He was only a little child, the Bible tells us, standing before a nation with the responsibility of governing all God's people. What compelled Solomon to ask for the power of discernment? I think God did. It is clear from our story that Solomon had an active, vibrant, real relationship with God. He worshiped God regularly, expressed thanksgiving for all of God's blessings, and offered weekly gifts at the altar in Gibeon. Solomon, I think, was compelled to ask for wisdom because for him, God wasn't some cosmic vending machine or a puppeteer. For Solomon, God was a presence and a power and an active player in his day-to-day life, so much so that he talks to God occasionally, today in a dream, a dream where God asks him, what should I give you? What our tradition, our scriptures, and I believe Jesus reveals to us 
is that what Solomon needed most, he already had. And so do we. A relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Jesus and Mary, the God of you, and the God of me. To navigate the challenges of life, whether it be managing a nation, or a staff, or a family, or your own personal issues, what we need to make good decisions is a God who is present and accounted for, a God who actually is Emmanuel with us in all things. And it's my experience and the wisdom of our tradition that teaches us that the best way to be in relationship with this God, to stay in relationship with God, to experience this relationship with God, is to invite God in to the simple decisions and the big decisions we make each and every day. Instead of trying to figure out God's will, I'm intrigued by the fact that Solomon invited God into his life and into his kingdom. Instead of trying to figure out what God would do, Solomon asked for God to help him figure out what he should do. And as the life of Jesus reveals to us what God hopes we would do is trust. Trust deeply in the one who made us, claims us, and empowers us by the power and the gift of the Holy Spirit to be children of the living God. This morning, I want to invite you to consider what it would look like if all of our choices were rooted in the understanding that God loves us and, this is the important part, has equipped us to discern what is right and what is wrong. Years ago, decades now, I think wristbands with WWJD on them were all the rage when I was growing up. You still see them occasionally now, but back in the 90s, they were everywhere. They were a tangible reminder to ask in any given situation, what would Jesus do? I believe these bands became so popular because we all want answers. We all want to know what we should do in any given moment. The trouble is that Jesus doesn't give us that kind of blueprint. In response to questions, he tells stories. He embraces rules, he embraces the law, but he also bends it when necessary. Instead of giving us a detailed list of do's and don'ts, he teaches us the vague concepts like nonviolence and the embracing of a simple lifestyle. He has a lot to say about relationship, our relationship with money and power, and even more to say about forgiveness, but in each case, he leaves the details up to us. Jesus never promises clarity. What he does promise, though, is that he will always be with us to the end of the age, giving us the ability to be faithful. Looking at this moment between Solomon and God, I wonder if trusting in the Lord looks a lot like trusting in our ability to discern, with God's help, what is right and what is wrong. What if trusting in our own God-given ability to figure things out is a way of honoring God and the gift of God's Spirit? Jesus, after all, doesn't want robots or mimics. He wants followers who love him and who trust, deeply trust, that God is with them, giving them what they need 
Jesus wants people rooted in love, not in fear. Do you know the story of the man who saved the world by trusting in his ability to discern what is right and what is wrong? It was September 26, 1983, and Stanislav Petrov was on duty in a secret bunker outside the city of Moscow. His job was a really exciting job. He got to monitor the Soviet Union's early warning detection system in case of a nuclear attack. He would monitor the system and then pass along any alerts to his superiors. It was just after midnight on September 26, 1983, when the alarm bells in the silo started sounding. One of the system's satellites detected that the U.S. had launched five nuclear missiles that were headed for the USSR. Electric maps flashed, bells screamed, and reports printed up and streamed in. That the U.S. would be lobbying missiles towards its Soviet counterpart was not out of the question in that point of human history. Three weeks earlier, Russia had shot down a South Korean airliner that had wandered into Soviet airspace. The Cold War in the early 80s was alive and well. Petrov, however, had a hunch, a funny feeling in his gut, he would later recall, that the alarm ringing through the bunker was a false one. It was an intuition that was based on some common sense. The alarm indicated that only five missiles were headed towards the USSR. Had the U.S. actually been launching a nuclear attack, Petrov figured, they would launch a lot more than five missiles. Soviet ground radar had also failed to pick up any evidence of incoming missiles, even after several minutes had elapsed. The larger matter, however, was that Petrov didn't fully trust the accuracy of Soviet technology. He would later describe the alert system as raw. That's a bit disconcerting. What would you do? Alone in a bunker, alarms blaring, lights flashing, and you have two choices. Follow protocol or trust your instincts. Either way, the world is counting on you to make the right call. Well, Petrov, in that moment, trusted his gut. He trusted he had the ability to discern what was right and what was wrong in that situation. Instead of being rooted in the fear of the other, he rooted himself in the belief that Americans wanted to live just as much as his compatriots did. And so he reported the satellite's detections to his superiors as a false alarm. Then he hoped. He waited and he hoped to find out if he was right. He was, of course. The U.S. had not attacked the Soviets. It was a false alarm. I wonder how different our world would look, our nation would look, our cities, our churches, our families. I wondered how different they would look if we sought, above all else, to cultivate within ourselves the power of discernment above the searching for strength and security or certainty, salvation, or success, how different would our world look if we rooted ourselves in love and not fear and actually believed that God had given us what we need? I mean, do you believe right now that God has given you the power to discern, to choose, to figure out in your own life and in group contexts what is right 
and what is wrong. I do. We've been given the gift of God's very spirit. Of course, this does not mean we'll always make the right decision or know exactly what God would have us do in any situation. But it does mean we have been given the one thing any of us need who seek to live a life of meaning and purpose. We've been given a relationship with the living God. You might know the ancient Greek parable of the fox and the hedgehog. A cunning fox sets his mind on eating a hedgehog for breakfast and spends hours plotting the perfect attack. Meanwhile, the simplistic hedgehog wanders about the field, going about his business, unaware of the fox presence. When the fox finally does ambush, the hedgehog does what a hedgehog does. He simply rolls himself into a spiny, impenetrable ball. Undeterred, the fox keeps trying different tactics, different ways to get at the hedgehog, but the pattern keeps repeating itself over and over again. Each time the fox launches a new innovative attack, the hedgehog, hedgehog just rolls up in a prickly ball. The fox knows many things, the parable concludes, but the hedgehog knows one big thing. We know the one big thing. We know that God loves us. We know that God has given us the gift of God's very own spirit. God has claimed us and equipped us to be children of the living God, agents of love and compassion and peace in our world. And that one thing, that one bit of knowledge, it is enough to figure out together, how to live a life of mercy, justice, and peace, a life rooted in the love and grace of God. Amen.